And give me a few words to sync up to. Blah, blah, blah. Mm, beautiful. It's, this is my very verbose <laughs> ten, ten, 10 in the morning after a film festival voice. I feel that, man. My, my voice is, uh, is just as lovely right now. <clears throat> all right, I'll get us started. Welcome to That Might Be Cool. I am Jason Hammonds, and joining me all the way from the uh, offices of the Daily Bugle is uh, Dan Gavazdan on loan from Amazing Spider Talk. How's it going, Dan? I'm doing all right, Jason. I can't keep up with all these different podcast names you've got going on here. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's a thing, but we're we're this is the this is the OG name. This is the return to the name of my original podcast. Uh, we decided to to sort of end Savage Land, uh, mostly just because uh, scheduling conflicts and stuff like that. But uh, the the Savage Land crew will be a recurring thing on this podcast, hopefully in the uh, episodes and seasons to come. Sure. I mean, I, I've been following the drama around this. It's like, if, <laughs> like all of a sudden the Amazing Spider-Man comic was like, we're going back to Amazing Fantasy. <laughs> exactly. It's the same thing. Um, and I, I do want to reiterate to everyone out there, there is no drama. There are no weird, hard feelings between the hosts of Savage Land. All is good in the, in the land. Um, He's winking at me right now, like <laughs> suggesting otherwise. <laughs> okay, I killed them. Fine. They're in my basement. Um, I mean, I am, I'm in California. I don't have a basement. Uh, <laughs> but is that so, a Zodiac reference? I guess. <laughs> in as much as, as, uh, as I can accomplish right now. Sure. Uh, but, uh, we are on the road to Endgame, uh, as, as all of the first, ep- first season episodes of That Might Be Cool are. Uh, and today we are talking about the first film that is a joint effort between Marvel, uh, Studios and Sony Pictures. We are, of course, talking about... Spider-Man Homecoming. So to become an Avenger, are there like trials or an interview? Do me a favor. Can't you just be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? Just stay close to the ground. You're the Spider-Man from YouTube. Can you summon an army of spiders? No, Ned, no. Do you know him too? I stole a shield. Can I try the suit on? Badass. The rich and the powerful, like Stark, they don't care about us. The world's changing, boys. Time we change, too. I love Spider-Man Homecoming. I think it's, like, it's funny because I feel like at the time, people loved this movie. And as time has gone on, this kind of internet culture has kind of crept up around it, suggesting that people really don't like this movie. Mm. And... I, I mean, I don't know. I think that's the internet, uh, whereas out in the world, there are plenty of people that love it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Spider-Man Homecoming is complicated. It's the most <laughs> like distant from the character while also being like one of the freshest representations of the character. And I think people really kind of land, you know, in one camp or the other on it. You know, it's... Yeah. I think, I mean, at, at its very bare essence, I think my my feelings about the movie is this, which is like... I feel complicated about it as a Spider-Man fan. Like, mm. it, there are elements of it where I'm like, is it just a dude with spider powers and it's not really, like, telling the Spider-Man story? But, like, at the end of the day, it's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, like, for me, I think it's Marvel's best movie. It, or, wow. or Marvel slash Sony's best movie. Uh-huh. Because I think its script is the most character oriented, mm, yeah, uh, and I think it has the best character arc and and character beats for any of their characters 
that they've done. And I, I love so many of their movies. I mean, I would put like Winter Soldier and Infinity War and the original Iron Man up there along it. But for me, Spider-Man Homecoming is like as a movie on its own, uh, I, I feel like it is the most like uh, kind of cohesive and, and tells the best individual tale. Yeah, no, I I uh I'm with you. I think I think Spider-Man Homecoming is definitely one of the most one of the most solid um MCU films. It's interesting. I always whenever I'm talking about my favorite MCU films, this one doesn't come up a lot, but then when I start thinking about this film, I'm like, yeah, I really liked it. I uh, for so, I don't know why for some reason it like doesn't automatically come into the list of of favorite MCU films for me. Uh, because I, I literally, I have no problems with this movie. <laughs> like, it, I mean, a- every joke in this movie hits and yeah. they're constant, you uh, know, yeah. um, all of the character like beats make sense and are like resonant. It's got one of the best twists of any of these movies. Yeah. It's got a great villain that doesn't overstay his welcome. 100%. I mean, there's just so much that's good about this movie. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it's uh, it's fun that uh, that this movie was essentially made by a bunch of YouTubers: uh, John Watts, John Francis Daly, and Jonathan Goldstein, all coming out of the the YouTube world. Uh, is is kind of a fun thing, um, at least. Sort I think of. the only go sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, at least they sort of came out of the YouTube world. I mean, I know they like did other stuff before that, but like it's 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 interesting, like because they they had this whole like you know guerrilla filmmaking collective on YouTube for a long time. I guess it was while they were in film school. Um, but it's interesting that like a decade later, they're sort of helming some of the biggest franchises uh, out there. I think the YouTube thing is a kind of pertinent because I one my only real problem with this movie is I feel like it's one of the least cinematic of Marvel's movies. Mm. Like I don't remember it for its visuals necessarily. And that kind of bleeds into the action mm. scenes as well. I think it's missing kind of like, Big showy set pieces, and there are some really good ones. Like I mm. think the barge stuff is really great. Yeah, and I think the final like bit with him clinging to the invisible plane is mm. really fun. And I like the idea that Spider-Man never throws a punch in the movie; he just kind of redirects his yeah. villains stuff. But That's it really is a cool. weird departure from the Civil War Spider-Man, where he's kind of like strong and able to kind of you know take it back to people. Um, yeah. But I mean, I I. I I really don't mind. I think that the character stuff and the humor and the pure mechanics of all of it really kind of overweight, like overweighs any kind of like missing cinematics. Yeah. And you know, there are plenty of Marvel movies that aren't particularly cinematic. Uh, I think, especially, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't want to get into it too much, but <laughs> I'd say like the Ant Man movies or yeah, um, even something like Captain Marvel. I didn't didn't find terribly. Uh, cinematically arresting so mm-hmm. um and i don't know if this is going for that it's kind of more like a saturday morning fun course ad- adventure john yeah <laughs> yeah so so spider-man homecoming uh box office wise it grossed uh 880 million on a uh, production budget of 175 which is of course a, a healthy profit uh that put it around uh, number eight uh ranking in the marvel cinematic universe uh, the Rotten Tomatoes, uh, results on this one, it was, uh, 92% fresh, uh, from critics and, uh, 88% of audiences, uh, enjoyed this movie. So definitely overall a very positive outing for them. Um, obviously the lion's share of those profits went to Sony. Um, but as an installment in the Marvel, uh, cinematic universe, this one definitely 
hit the you know struck a chord, which is surprising considering this is coming on the heels of you know this is the third Spider-Man reboot in you know fifteen years or whatever. Like it's it's kind of wild that they were able to be that successful with the third iteration of a character for modern audiences. Uh, I think it could have been more successful, you know, if that fatigue wasn't there. Yeah, you know. Um, and I think that fatigue really kind of came out in, in into the Spider Verse, uh, yeah. which you know did it well enough to land a sequel. But and I think probably because it also scared adults away with the animation aspect. Sure. But not to get too far afield into that movie, <laughs> but I think that movie is kind of criminally uh, underwatched. Uh, ma- underwatched. Yep. Um, I think it's getting its following. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll just say it. It's my favorite superhero movie of all time. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, and I, I, it's weird to look at Homecoming in light of Spider-Verse because Spider-Verse feels so much more daring yes. than Homecoming. Like, Homecoming does feel like, a oh, we're rehashing a high school Peter story again. Yep. But it is it is daring with the character. It does do interesting new things with the character. But it's, it's not nearly as dramatic as, as Sony's newer interpretation of the character. <laughs> yeah, oh, 100%. It's it is kind of wild especially because they came out so close together that it's like it's it's pretty it is pretty weird revisiting this movie after Spider-Verse cuz yeah, there's just so much there's so many more risks taken in Spider-Verse. There's such a uh, obviously just such a unique style. You know, it, it does take such a a larger departure from the sort of known Spider-Man mythos. Um and so it's it's interesting looking at this being like, yeah, it's a very, very solid, well-executed movie, and I have no complaints about it. But it's also not Spider-Verse, which, like, wasn't a complaint until Spider-Verse came out. Right. Um, Can I get to the main complaint that people have with this movie? Please. And I just want to address it because it bugs the hell out of me. Yeah. Is the, like, oh, Spider-Man is just Tony Stark Jr. Mm. thing, and, like, oh, he's just Iron Man's sidekick. Mm-hmm. And I think if if that's your walk your takeaway from this movie, you've kind of like fundamentally misunderstood this movie, like <laughs> and, and the arc of this movie. Yeah. Like, uh, and maybe you haven't read the first like few issues of Amazing Spider-Man, which like many people have not. Mm-hmm. But like, if you've read those, you know that like for the first few issues of Spider-Man's run, all he was doing was like bouncing around like trying to make money and fit in wherever he could, you know, like the first issue of amazing Spider-Man is literally him trying to join the fantastic four to make some dough. I remember that. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and, and this movie is about a, a kid who was involved in, in an event, you know, the civil war event. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's found a new kind of, like, figure to kind of look up to in his life and try to, you know, like, please – like, all teenagers do. Like, they they latch on to something and they want to be a part of it, you know, and they want to grow up too quickly. And it's about that journey of realizing, like, you don't need to be an Avenger and and you don't need to, like, rush growing up and get out of high school and yada yada – like it's it's about taking your time and realizing that you're okay with who you are and you can just be Spider-Man. Yeah. And for if you walk away from this movie and you're like, "Oh my god, Peter's just Tony Dark Jr." It's like the whole arc of the movie is the opposite of that. Yeah. It's about like he rejects the suit at the end and to me, like there's no greater stand up and cheer moment than that, like him rejecting that suit. Yeah. Because it's like 
No, he's declaring himself Spider-Man without the need of the Avengers or Tony Stark. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I think I see that so much on the internet. I just felt like I had to address it. I, 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 I'm sure people won't take this as like a, <laughs> oh, he's right. And I'll just stop complaining about this. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, maybe I'm biased because I run a Spider-Man podcast. Sure. And I get email every day. Of people like complaining about my review of Homecoming because <laughs> Spider Man is just Tony Stark Jr. and that was two years ago. That's and absurd. I, I, I'm, it's absurd. And uh, anyway, yeah, like, no. Well, and I, I agree. I mean, I, I actually I, I like the aspect of it that that it's like, yeah, of course, if you're if you're a kid like Peter Parker and you are, you know, your sort of aspirations are very scientific. You know, and you you kind of have like this this ingenuity, and you, you're going to this this very like you know sort of prestigious uh, uh, technical high school. It's it's understandable that Tony Stark would be someone that that at the very least is is an idol of yours, you know, or is someone you look up to. Uh, and so I do I do like the the comparisons, you know, or I I like the line that's drawn between the two that it's like Tony Stark represents a version of who Peter Parker could be uh, or, or who he could aspire to be, but also that it's not necessarily the version that he wants to be. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a remix on the responsibility theme, yeah. you know, like we're not going to do the uncle Ben again, which yeah. look, I, I'll admit, like, I think there is something like missing in the lack of uncle Ben. I mean, sure. the, the far from home trailer there's a nod to Uncle Ben's initials on Spider-Man's suitcase. Yeah. The guy clearly existed. Mm-hmm. And if you watch Civil War, it's the subtlest of nods towards the existence of this man. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope we get more of Uncle Ben. Like, I do think it's a fundamental part of the character that needs to be addressed. If this is going to be Spider-Man. You yeah. Know? Like, I don't, I don't know what Spider-Man is without Uncle Ben. Yeah, but if you're I, not gonna if you're not gonna do that story, this is the next best way to do it is to address another aspect of responsibility, which is like yeah. ha- handling it um, in the speed in which you are able to handle the responsibility. Yeah, and I think you know here's one thing in in sort of this this post Infinity Saga Marvel Cinematic Universe, I am anxious to see their way of handling the Fantastic Four, and I think that. Reed Richards could make a great counterpoint to Tony Stark in sort of Peter's world of of scientific idols, and I feel like it could kind of like that the, the, they could kind of show with this kid that's growing up, like that he almost since the death of Uncle Ben keeps sort of searching for a bit of a paternal figure in certain ways, uh, and that it's like you know whatever happens with Tony Stark's arc in Endgame, you know having sort of Peter like find a new sort of maybe not even role model or, you know, something like that in, in Reed Richards to sort of bring in a different aspect of that, uh, of that aspiration that he's, you know, that, that he has and, and kind of having him find himself or what he wants his identity to be somewhere between the spectrum of Reed Richards and Tony Stark. Uh, I think it's entirely possible. I, I don't think we're seeing the Fantastic Four for another five years. Yeah. I, uh, I feel that way about the X-Men. I feel like the Fantastic Four we might see sooner. Oh, they said like it's going to be a decade until we see the X Men. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, I mean, honestly, good riddance. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, I, 
I, I could u- do with less X-Men so that we can get that out of our head and, and wow. get, like, I think the longer the time goes, the more they'll feel comfortable going back to characters that we want to see. But, like, yeah. I want to see Cyclops and Jean and Wolverine and all that stuff in a Marvel context. And yeah. I think if we were to get an X-Men movie next week, they would be like, let's they'll pull a Spider-Man Homecoming where it's yeah. like, let's jettison everything we've seen before and do something new. Mm. And I honestly like that's maybe not what I, quite what I want, yeah. and I, maybe not quite what I wanted for Spider Man. You know, mm. like I don't know that I love that a lot of this Peter Parker is Miles Morales. Yeah, you know, like everybody knows his identity. He doesn't really have financial troubles. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's less oriented around his Aunt May. Yeah, uh, like I think, like really, I would love to have seen like the Raimi verse character. You know, just kind of integrated in, into the story because that's the Spider-Man I recognize. Yeah. You know, and I think so. Like, if they take longer with the X-Men, there's more of a chance that we'll get back to kind of the core of those characters without too much modernization. Yeah. Um, that Fox kind of, you know, hit upon here and there and everywhere. I um, I, I do. I think that maybe they'll they'll take the approach of like introducing individual X-Men along the way, kind of peppering them in in the larger universe, and then eventually sort of doing, like, an actual X-Men movie. I think that could be interesting. Uh, I mean, it would be cool if they literally did the whole, like, Xavier's school is, like, hidden from sight, yes. and, and the X-Men are operating on the fringe of, you know, society. Yeah. Like, that would be really neat. Them, yeah. for sure. I mean, for sure the Fantastic Four are going to show up, and they've been, like, in some pocket dimension for mm-hmm. 60 years See, or... There, there's, there's a part of me that feels like maybe they snuck through the they took their chance and snuck through the wormhole in the first Avengers movie and then got trapped out there because the wormhole closed and so they uh, you know now are just like barely finding their way back to Earth or something. I feel like they like were in a, they were blasting off into space and they accidentally weren't went through that wor- wormhole. Not even like, not even accidentally. It. I, for me, damn I, it! Why did we aim the rocket at that wormhole? Well, for me, I would I would think that they went intentionally. Like they saw the wormhole opening in space and went, "Hey, we've been trying to like you know figure out how to get to the far reaches of space. We see our shortcut right there. Let's freaking blast off and take advantage." That's actually not a bad idea uh, at all. I mean, there's like also the rumor that like that tower, the Avengers Tower, is going to turn into the Baxter Building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you can see it in the background of the Far From Home trailer. Yeah. Um, Which... Yeah. I, I mean, who knows? Totally. And I, I also think, like, I don't know, there's there's a part of me that feels like Sokovia and Latveria could almost be one and the same. Uh, and that, like, you know, sort of an Istanbul-Constantinople type thing, where maybe Latveria was the, the name that Sokovia had before it was Sokovia, and now, you know, Victor Von Doom is trying to help them recover from the damage and make Latveria great again, and... You know, it's uh, there. There could be an interesting thing uh, there where they could they could retcon those characters into existence, and and it could fit pretty seamlessly. Someone smarter than us is thinking about it right now. Exactly. Um, and speaking of thinking about things, uh, we we kind of have our sort of rundown that we'll go through on on each of these episodes, sort of just talking about different points of this movie. Um, one thing that we do a lot because Marvel tends to one thing that that has happened and has been more prevalent like post Avengers, well, post Captain America, uh, is kind of lazy MacGuffins in a lot of their movies. You know, it's typically like, oh, it's an infinity stone and we got to go grab it. Um, this movie I think is one of the better ones in that the only real, uh, you know, the only uniting tension is the, 
the stark technology that um um what's michael keaton uh adrian toombs is trying to get uh and i i think it's not quite as like like it, it's not as as clean of a MacGuffin, but that's basically what's bringing sort of the the main conflict in this story and i like it because it ties it into the the greater mcu but there is a a part of me that always is like a little bit reticent with plots that are just based around someone trying to to get something and someone trying to stop him from getting the thing. Well, I mean, I'm, I'll push back on you a little bit there because yeah. I don't really think the MacGuffin even really matters in this movie. Fair. Like it, that's not the plot of the movie. The plot of the movie is about like Peter trying to like impress Tony and live up to like his, you know, mantra and balance his life. You that's know, fair. like all of this stuff is incidental. Like the vulture just happens to be the thing that is getting in the way of that because yeah. like the essence of Peter is that he wants to do good. Sure. You know, like it, it's, and I think a lot of people struggle with this because it's so simple, mm-hmm. but like the plot of the movie is here's a kid and he wants to do good and he's was told to always do good and he's going to do whatever he can take to get to do that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and so it's not even about like the Stark tech, like, that no, yeah, might be Adrian Toomes' goal, but, like, Peter's goal is just, like, here's a bad guy doing something bad, and he literally says it when he confronts him. He's like, you're doing bad things, and I'm here to stop you, you know? <laughs> and, like, Adrian Toomes, like, calls him out. He's like, that's so naive, you know? Yeah. Like, like you can join with me and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, I'm just here to do good, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, I think the Marvel Universe has kind of taken, a like, a a, 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 a bit of a direction towards like cynical like kind of like modern superhero storytelling you know yeah. like everything is like these villains are our heroes are complicated and they're breaking the rules and they're kind of fascistic and like yeah. spider-man is just like i'm just a good kid <laughs> and i'm in over my head you know and there's something yeah. kind of like charmingly naive about that yeah um, and I, I do love that and, and i i very much this is maybe my favorite third act confrontation uh, in in the entire MCU because it is so centered around Peter just trying to do good and not trying to harm anybody and, you know, trying to make sure that he saves the day, so to speak. Um, and it's so, you know, it's just it just it just it ends so differently and has such a different mood to it than any other villain confrontation. And, and I mean, part of that, I think, also is just that I think Adrian Toomes is a better more fleshed out villain than most of the ones we get in the MCU. Uh, but I, I do love that the heart of Peter Parker really comes out in that confrontation. I don't think there's a better 20 minutes in a Marvel movie than like Peter getting, uh, going to the Tombs's house and oh. discovering that it's, oh. you know, like his girlfriend's dad. Great yep. twist. I, I love that twist so much. I've like, I, I know a few people who, who kind of complain that it's like, too contrived or something like that but that when when that happened in the theater when michael keaton opens the door i about jumped out of my seat i was so stoked well the filmmaking is is brilliant because it like opens in a way that could be a cut and you think for a second oh we must have gone to a new scene yep and then it shows them in a shot together and you're like oh no we haven't yeah this is really wild what is going on and you have to piece it together it's so abrupt that Uh, was that was a moment where i i mean i was hearing when I saw this in the theater, I heard multiple audible gasps. Right. And and, and that, that scene just, like, compiles, right? Like, because yep. you get – and, like – It drives it's tension like in, so in hard. In the car, yep. 
you're in the car, you get like the green light, which sh- like shines on his face, like very oh, goblin esque, so you know. He threatens him. Then Peter has to go into the homecoming <laughs> and and deal with that, getting out of that situation, which is a classic, like, yeah. you know, my my social life is going to be destroyed by my actions here. <laughs> then he's got to fight the shocker in the parking lot, which yep. is great. Yes. And right. And then he goes and confronts the vulture in that warehouse and is like, I'm here to do good. And the vulture's like. I'm a cynical bastard. I'm going to collapse this building on you. Mm-hmm. And then he has to lift the building off himself and declare, I'm Spider-Man, while yep. looking at his reflection in the water. Like, those 20 minutes, like, I don't know that another Marvel movie has peaked like that. No. Um, and that, that to me, is like like 100% of the ticket. Yeah, know? and the tension is so strong. Like, it's it's one of those things where it's it's almost... I think my favorite, my the movie to me that drives tension the best for the longest period of time is is um, Alex Garland's Ex Machina, and this to me feels like a less, you know, a less horror oriented version of that, where it's just like it's just constant tension. It just keeps twisting, you know, the knife or the screwdriver or whatever, just ever so slightly every few seconds, you know, and and until like the the final like unleashing of all of it when he does sort of you know, lift the, the, um, all the rubble on off of himself. Like the relief feels so good because you've been so tense for that entire 20 minutes and like just been waiting for all of this to sort of culminate. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like that sequence. I will say th- so here's, here's where we get into the, the one, the one complaint that I realistically have about this movie. And I don't even know if it's a complaint. It's just a thing that I'm not sure how I feel about, uh, which is Karen, the the basically the the essence of this Spider-Man suit having all sorts of like AI and high tech stuff in it, and sort of like the 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 very futuristic you know suit of it, the Stark tech of it all. Um, I don't know how I feel about Spider-Man having like these these super high tech suits. How wh- how are you on that? You're a big Spider-Man guy. I mean, it it wrinkles, right? I mean, like it's not like uh, his character, you know. I mean, he has tech stuff, but it's never felt like he's Iron Man Junior, yeah. so to speak. Although he has gotten an Iron Man suit for a he while has. in the comics, you yeah. know. Um, but like to me, that's all part of the plot. Is like the end of the movie, he's in a hoodie, you know. Yeah. Like the 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 idea of the movie is that like that suit like overwhelms him and becomes like overwhelms his spider powers and who he is as Peter Parker. And it gives him too much power, you know? Uh, and he's not up to the responsibility of that power yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like the end of the movie is literally, he loses the suit. He's buried in rubble and he has to like redefine himself that I don't need the suit. I'm Spider-Man without it. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I, I, you know, Far From Home has me a little worried because it looks like he's back in a Stark suit again yep. in some way. And I felt like Infinity War kind of had a cheat regarding the suit in that, yep. like, he had rejected the suit, but then Iron Man, like, kind of against his will, like, <laughs> blast the Avengers suit on him. Yeah. So it's like a kind of have your cake and eat it too, but at least they didn't go back on having Peter, like, accepting the suit like 15 minutes later yeah they they didn't they didn't pull a uh uh, iron man 3 avengers age of ultron kind of thing where they just retcon the end of that movie yeah i mean look do i think spider-man should have like a high-tech karen you know suit i don't know that i love that but like um it's there for thematic and story reasons right it's 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 
it's a physical manifestation of how his obsession with Iron Man is yeah. like taking over his life. Like he's not Iron Man Junior. No. You know. Um, yeah, and, I, and that you're right. Like that is basically the purpose of sort of the resolution of this movie is to be like, yeah, we've shown you all of this, all these ways that he could have been, you know, Iron Man Junior. But then by the end, the the whole purpose of all that was so that he can reject it. You know. Uh, right. I, I I don't. I mean, like, I understand people's complaints, but like, I also want to say, like, did you see the third act of the movie? <laughs> you, you know, like, that's the whole point, you know? Yeah, uh, which is which is my problem with like a lot of I mean, this has happened. Obviously, this this type of thing happened recently with um, Nick Spencer's Captain America in the comics and, and with a lot. of. Oh, just, don't get me started yeah, on that. We won't go down that rabbit hole. But with a lot of genre entertainment, there is a lot of I mean, the Batman wedding, you know, like stuff like that. There is a lot of. uh I'm very angry about this story when it's halfway done and who cares how it ends, you know? Uh, yeah. It's like people don't understand that this is serialized entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh my but God, Captain America was replaced with a Hydra. Like I got, I, it, that'll never get undone. Oh, yeah. you mean it's undone in the next issue? Like, you know, I, yeah, I, it makes me so, I get into so many fights with these people about this. I should probably not because they, like, they're clearly not reading this stuff yeah. or, or watching this stuff no. in, in the way that it's intended to be watched. The they, outrage they're is en- so... They're entering with pre-conclusions. Yeah, yeah I, I think I, I think most of the outrage comes from people who aren't even reading or watching whatever the thing is that they're mad about. Um, but uh, but let's talk about... So so the the development process in this movie is, is pretty interesting. I mean, um, the fact that it was able to happen where to- where Sony Pictures and Marvel Studios were able to come to a albeit somewhat tentative agreement but an agreement nonetheless to uh share the rights to this character and allow you know basically allow Marvel to make three Spider-Man movies for Sony and in turn allow Sony to lend the character to Marvel for their crossover movies um it will be very interesting to see what happens once that third Spider-Man movie is done, uh, and if Sony decides they want the character back. The worst thing that could have ever happened to this version of Spider-Man is the Venom movie's success. Yes. Because I guarantee you Sony is now thinking, because Venom was more successful than this movie. Yeah, yeah. Right? Wild. So, like, Sony is now thinking, well, we don't need Marvel. Yeah. We've, you know, like, I mean, I, I'm sure that they... They don't think that entirely, but, uh, you know, yeah, you're right. Once this third, I, I think that this is d- dangerously, um, like, I mean, I think there's a very real possibility after the third Spider-Man, we, we never see Spider-Man in the MCU again. Yeah, I think there's and, a very real possibility for and, sure. I think it also, like, uh, ri- runs the risk of being the first real, like, kink in the chain of the MC- MCU, and it's kind of like... It, it it's the start of the unraveling of the narrative cohesion of this. Yes. Uh and and it really worries me. And I think a lot of the celebration about this movie being a like acquired by Marvel was very premature. Yeah. Um I mean I don't know if Marvel could waited could have waited ten years of watching Sony drag the character through the mud. <laughs> I mean, granted, Into the Spider-Verse is fabulous, and I don't know if that movie was like changed in any way or the the reins were loosened because of the success of homecoming yeah um like would we have gotten that movie without this deal Who knows? Uh, you know i i don't know what that universe looks like but i'm very worried about the future of live action spider-man <laughs> yeah i feel you i am too and i mean 
having read the script for Silver and Black and other, you know, sort of uh, uh, Sony Marvel properties that they were trying to launch on their own, it is tough to stomach the possibility of them trying to do it again because there's some really rough stuff in there. Um, I mean, I, I cannot understand Venom's success. Like, I can understand it making some money, but the money that it did make, I find truly stunning. It is. Uh, it's astonishing. That being said, I did really enjoy Venom. I think it's a trash I mean, movie it's a, that I loved. It's, it's an enjoyable trash, but, yeah. like, I don't think the average audience is going in there, like, with their you know tongue planted in their cheek, yeah, you know, like like I'm I've loved that movie because it was so garbage. Like, yeah. but I can't imagine that that's not a kind of feeling that typically like I don't see Jupiter ascending making a billion dollars. You know what I mean? Or like yeah. Gods of Egypt making a million a billion dollars. Like I love those movies for the same reason. Yeah, I, th- um, I think the difference with Venom was that it 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 was trash that still held together. You know, and it had the nostalgia factor. Yeah, and people—that's twenty, people 20 love years Venom. of Venom. Yeah. Um, but uh, so let's let's talk about comic book source material. We 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 oftentimes try to to sort of trace these movies to where they come from in the comics, and I think this one is a little tricky, which makes me happy that you're on the show since you 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 tend to be a you're a pretty big sort of Spider-Man buff. You you know the history a lot better than most. I but this one for me, it's hard to nail down really any specific comic that they pulled from and my interpretation at least is that this is mostly a an original spider-man story using a lot of existing characters uh what's what's your take on it do you do you feel differently or do you think i'm on track with that well you're talking to exactly the right guy because um i wrote a piece for the hollywood reporter Mm. called the definitive list of spider-man homecoming easter eggs Mm. and it like easter eggs is generous it's more kind of clicky like, people recognize the word, but it's a really mostly, like, all the references and influences that it took from the comics. Uh-huh. So I would point people towards checking that out if they really want to see, like, in-depth. Like, I found, like, 40-plus things wow. in the movie that are, like, deep, you know, Spider-Man lore yeah. connections and influences. I actually think this movie is very... Um, I mean, it's, again, it's hard to say this in the wake of Into the Spider-Verse, which I also wrote an article like this for, <laughs> and found like over a hundred things wow. from like one watching of the movie. It's the longest thing The Hollywood Reporter has ever printed, <laughs> um, which is a claim to fame I'm yeah. happy to have. Hell yeah, Dan. Um, <laughs> Mission accomplished. Uh, yeah, yeah. I wrote like 20,000 words over a weekend about that movie. <laughs> Um, but until then, my one for Homecoming was like, you know, considered like one of the longer things that they'd ever printed. And it's full of awesome images from the comics and stuff. Nice. So, I mean, I don't know. I could go through it line by no, line. No, you're fine. We'll, we'll guide people um, to that. But basically, I mean, essentially the message is, you know, for, for the purposes of, of the podcast, uh, that they did mainly just pull from a lot of different sources in the comics. Well, I said at the time that, like, this was, like, Spider-Man via remix culture. Mm. You know, it, it's, like, everything from all the different versions of the character, they've kind of mixed it together in, yeah. a, in a unique way that it's like almost unrecognizable. It. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, like, it's hard to say that in the wake of Into the Spider-Verse, which is <laughs> truly remix culture. Yes. Um, but but it, it, they're, it's born of the same ideology. Like, yeah. it's, like, this worked for this character, and maybe that wasn't Peter, but, like... Yeah. We'll make it work here, and well, this, you know this, some of that I think is 
weirdly short-sighted in that they were making a Miles Morales movie. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, yeah. And this this is, to me, I think the... This is how I prefer comic book characters to be adapted, which is we're going to take a lot of things that you know from the comics, but we're going to tell an original story with those things. Um, I think it's what Christopher Nolan did so successfully. Uh, I think you know even Sam Raimi did that pretty successfully uh, to an extent. Obviously, there were there were certain elements of his movies that were strongly pulled from specific comics, but there were also a lot of mixing in there. Um, and it's it's the thing where I, I don't get that excited when. You know, when when Zack Snyder is going, yeah, this is like a, a very Frank Miller inspired, you know, Batman Superman movie or, you know, when when they're saying, you know, like the that Civil War is going to be an adaptation. It, that being said, I do like that the Marvel movies typically are an adaptation in name only, uh, but that, you know, in, in name and like vague concept, but that they're typically sort of taking very many liberties with it. Uh, I don't like to see the exact story that I've already seen before in movies. You know, I don't, I don't want the same story I read in the comics. Um, so I do like I, that. I mean, I was just thrilled that I could be surprised by a Spider-Man movie. You yeah. know, you walk into this thinking, like, you got it all figured out. You know, <laughs> yeah. like... But then the, to pull the Adrian Toom switch, oh. you know, like... Which I was is great. I mean, there's ones that are less successful. Like, I think the reveal of, like, Michelle Gonzalez as MJ, sure. like... Whether that means she's actually MJ or not, like, reports are all over the place saying that they just wanted to have that as, like, kind of, like, a joke. Yeah. Like, like kind of Easter egg jokey thing. And to me, that's not something you can really do that with. Like, I didn't walk away going, oh, ha ha, she's also named MJ. Yeah. You know, like, my walkway was like, is this the revision of this character? Um, I mean, not that I ever felt like Kirsten Dunst's MJ actually portrayed the character of MJ. (laughs) Um, she was much more of a Gwen Stacy type. Yeah. Um, whereas Gwen Stacy was much more of an MJ type. Uh, <laughs> weird how that in happens. In the movies, it is weird. Um, yeah. And you know, uh, but I, uh, I, I think I think it's it's interesting. I mean, I that that was the one area of this movie where that f- totally fell flat for me. Where I was like, a people had already been talking about her being MJ, and b like it didn't. It didn't mean anything for her name to be MJ. I was like, well, she like she's a good character. I like her as a character. I don't understand why we needed to like s- like not say MJ if she was MJ, and if she isn't MJ, then I don't understand why we needed to say it at all. You know, like I feel like either way, it really served no purpose to have that sort of turn. I don't know. It seems like they didn't know. Yeah. Like whether or not she was going to be MJ or a new character, mm-hmm. and they meant this as like a joke. And then people took it seriously, and now they're like, "I guess we'll take it seriously." Yeah, that's um, that. But might, I'm not that might sure. Be very true. That might be very yeah. true. Yeah. Um, do you feel like this? And this is a question we ask about uh, every movie we talk about. Do you feel like the larger MCU uh, bogged down the plot of this movie at all, or the story of this movie, or do you think that for the most part it helped it? No, I think it's a great supplement to it. I mean, yeah, I it's so integral to the story, the Iron Man stuff. Yeah. You know. Um, I mean, look, I don't love that Spider-Man was introduced in such an awkward way in Civil War. Yeah. I mean, I know people really enjoy that, and I remember, like, cheering in the theater. But, like, looking back on it, it's a weird way to meet that character. I agree. And it feels like another movie suddenly interrupts Civil War. Yeah. And I'm not the biggest fan of Captain America Civil War. I know a lot of people rank it up there as their favorites Mm. in, in the Marvel Universe. I think it's a movie that... 
largely loses its main character. And I think Spider-Man is kind of a, a, a part of that. It's yeah. like a big diversion. Um, mm. I, I'm okay with it. I mean, we had just, I mean, it doesn't make sense to talk about the MCU movies without the context of the MCU because yeah. that's what they're made to do. Like, I hate when I read critics that are like, Oh, you know, like it's, it's like you have to watch all the other movies to get this one. And it's like, well, yeah, that's yeah. like the point. Like, yeah. I think, I think for me, the thing that happens sometimes, and this, I think this movie uses the MCU to its advantage rather than letting the MCU drag it down. Uh, but I think there are cases where the world building of the greater MCU gets in the way of the story that they're trying to tell in the movie, where it's like we're taking these diversions from the story to be like, oh, and then here's this thing that's going to be set up for the next movie type thing. Uh, but I think, I think you're absolutely right. I, the one I think about is like the Ant-Man one with the Falcon that yep. randomly shows up. Yep. Yeah, totally. And, and I mean, I think even in Guardians, I think the, the only problem with the first Guardians movie is that it it's trying to pull a lot of weight for the MCU and it really distracts from the story. Um, and, it, and it really like hampers down its villain, whichever one it's supposed to be in that movie. Uh, but in this one, I think they really, really use the universe to their advantage. You know, it's the, the timeline of it is, of course, messed up. Like the weird continuity is, is always going to be a thing that bugs me of like the seven years later or whatever they say at the beginning that just doesn't add up. Uh, but I love I love that it's tied to the attack on New York. I love that, you know, Tony Stark's technology is an integral part of it. I love, you know, obviously Adrian Toomes being sort of someone who was, you know, slighted by by shield and or or by sorry by um oh, damage shoot, control damage control there we go uh you know like I, I i i really think that they utilized the the sandbox that they had to play in to their biggest advantage here yeah it's just kind of relying on the universe element of the universe it's yeah. not like leaning into you know like how can we advertise this new character it's like oh well the history of all this happened and we're going to actually treat it honestly. Yeah. I think in the way that maybe the first few seasons of the Marvel Netflix shows kind of tried to do where it was like, Oh, the attack on New York actually happened. Yeah. Um, yep. you know, I mean to, to mix success. Yeah. But, um, you know, yeah. I mean, like, having Spider-Man be grounded and actually like reflect, you know, how people were affected by this stuff, even just like with goon stealing, you know, Chitwari or whatever, Chitari yeah, tech. tech. Um, yeah. I think that's a really great way to do this without having to be like, you know, like, oh, there's this guy, the Tinkerer. He makes all this gear for everybody. I mean, yes, they had the Tinkerer, mm-hmm. but it was a smarter kind of version of that. Yeah, um, I love that. I love, also, I love it, how they is, used is there a better stuff. line than now you're the shocker? <laughs> It's so good. I again. I. I. I oh God. I really love the twist of this movie. I'm probably gonna watch it again, like tonight. Um, uh, who do you think has the best performance in this movie, acting wise? For me, that's a hard call because it's got two really solid ones at the heart of it. Like yep. Tom, you know, Tom Holland and Michael. Kennedy. I mean, I think Tom Holland is like the best version of Peter Parker. I agree. Like he nails both in costume and out of the costume, and it's instantly a superstar. Yeah. Yeah, he's he is for sure my favorite uh, my favorite Peter Parker that there's been. As much as I have a huge soft spot for Andrew Garfield, um, and I I love Tobey Maguire, but like I think this guy is like yeah. I just want to watch him. I want to yeah, watch him. He's the yeah. um he's the like platonic ideal of what Peter Parker and Spider Man are. Um, I I do think the best performance in this movie. If, if I if I were to give best performance, I'd probably go Michael Keaton. 
but for sure Tom Holland is right there next to him. Um, we also talk about rising stars, who the who the big rising star is in each movie. And for me, it's it's Jacob. Uh, I I think you pronounce his name Batalon, who plays Ned. Yeah, uh, I I agree. He's fabulous, and he's got the big the best joke in the entire movie, which is the <laughs> "I'm watching porn" <laughs> joke. Uh, Such a good line. I love it. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I know there's people that don't like that line. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely hysterical it's and perfect. kind of like daring for the Marvel movies. Yeah, kind 100%. of like address that like children are watching porn in some way or know yeah. of the existence of porn. No, yeah. I, and I do, I do love the joke of that. Like, and it's it perfectly illustrates like he's so devoted to keeping this secret that literally the worst thing he could be caught doing is still better than the thing he's actually doing. So good. But the whole the whole movie is even-handed. I mean, everybody is good in it. I mean, yeah. like, Flash Thompson, it's the best version of Flash Thompson. I agree. Um, and it's got the most incredibly niche joke related to uh, Flash Thompson like ever imaginable in this movie. Um, is- where, you know, the thing where Flash Thompson is, like, driving his car and, and, and Peter steals it from him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he goes, he said they're talking about being in a restaurant, and he's like, that wasn't Branzino. I know real Branzino. <laughs> and uh, it's a joke reference to Amazing Spider-Man, the movie, where Peter Parker goes to the Stacys for dinner, and oh. they they offer him Branzino. <laughs> and it's so weirdly specific that like it, it spawned this kind of internet joke on Vulture.com about Branzino. Man. And so they're making a reference to that joke. I never made that connection. That's hilarious. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's the kind of level of detail I watch these movies with. I'm kind <laughs> of a psychopath. Um, are, have there been any, and this is, this gets, this gets tricky with the more recent movies because a lot of this stuff, it's too early to tell, but by your estimation, are there any plot threads from this movie that have sort of been abandoned, uh, in the MCU? I don't think so thus far. You know, I think time maybe will tell, but f- so far, I don't think there's anything that was set up in this movie that hasn't been paid off. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, yeah. you know, with the trailer from Far From Home, you know, it seems to really kind of be doubling down on a lot of the stuff yeah. that was established here. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, there's a lot of big open, like, for me, the Scorpion stuff seems mm. like it might be jettisoned. Yeah. Um, Like... I don't know. and I don't know. Are they going to be able to get Michael Keaton back? You know, like yeah. that seems to be the implication. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because this is one of the few times the villain doesn't die. <laughs> yeah. And and, and, it, and it's, it's it's implied that he's keeping Peter's secret, you know, mm-hmm. um, at, you know, in jail. So, yeah, like to me, that's a big thing that's kind of dangling out there. And yeah, it's weird to see Far From Home being what seems to be so completely disconnected from that tease. Um, yeah. I mean, to me, where the Marvel Universe falls apart the most is in its, like, post-credits te- teases that don't actually come together <laughs> in the way in which they, they've been teased. Or yep. very last-minute, third-act things that don't actually, like, reflect on the next movie. Like, yep. I'm no longer Tony Stark, and I've healed my chest, you know? And, you're <laughs> and then like, the very next movie, he's like, all right, I'm flying around as Iron Man. Let's take down these Hydra people. Yeah, yeah, or and it's you know, the next movie is Age of Ultron, where he's seemingly installed yeah, like I mean. drone Iron Men around the world, and you're like, wait, this is a big bold move for a guy that you know. Yeah, that's that's yeah. been a big topic of discussion on this show is is particularly that one, but also just yeah, those little retcons where you go, what? How did nobody like? 
why why was there no cohesion? There's such easy ways usually to like make it work. Um the strange point of this movie gets into like 10 years down the line where, you know, like whether Sony and Marvel work out a new deal again to go like, well, we're doing Miles Morales now because yeah. they seeded it here, you know, but now they're mm-hmm. going to basically introduce like two different versions of Miles's backstory, oh, you yeah. know, whether it's into the Spider-Verse or otherwise, like I don't think people are confused, but I imagine if I was an audience member, I'd be pretty confused about like all of this stuff. Yeah, I, I think I think it can definitely get the waters on this can definitely get pretty muddy pretty quick. I, and I think that's the thing is now Miles's origin from Spider Verse is really the origin that people know. And so, even if they were to introduce Miles in this universe with his traditional comic book origin, it would almost feel unfaithful to the casual moviegoer. You know what I mean? Well, they shouldn't because his comic book origin's terrible. So. <laughs> Uh, like, well, I mean, not terrible. The death of Spider-Man is fine. You know, uh, they ultimately end up doing that. Like, yeah. I, I think comic book Miles is really bad mm. as someone who loves Miles and Into the Spider-Verse. Mm. Like, uh, boy, I'm so glad they abandoned a lot of the Bendis stuff. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 it's a very mismanaged character. Yeah, I've really... I've I've read more Miles uh, Spider-Man stuff than I have Peter. I mean, I've read a good amount of Peter at this point, but I, I read a lot of the Ultimate Run, and it was very, very inconsistent for me. Like, there were parts where I really, really loved it, and there were parts where I was like, come on, what is this? Wait a minute. Are you telling me you've read more Miles Morales comics than Peter Parker in, like, any iteration of the character? Not any iteration, just, like, Spider-Man-specific comics. I've read a lot of Peter in, like, events and in team-up books and stuff like that, but for specific Peter, for specific Spider-Man comics, I'm pretty sure I've read more Miles. It might be close, but because I've read most of Miles' Ultimate Run, um, and I've only read a, a like maybe half of Peter's ultimate run as well as like, you know, your classic stories like Spider-Man blue and, and, you know, some of the kind of like bigger tentpole Spider-Man stories. Jason, you're lucky that you didn't come over to my apartment to record this because (laughs) I would have taken you captive and force fed you Spider-Man comics. (laughs) This is, this isn't the ultimate part, pardon the pun tragedy here. Like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, you've not read great Peter Parker Spider-Man books. I, I, I've got a list of hundreds of books hey, for you to read. Please, please send it over. I, I definitely, I'm, I'm down to read it. Because that, that's the thing too is the the longest run of of Spider-Man that I read uh, of like main universe Spider-Man was Superior Spider-Man, which of course isn't really Peter Parker. Uh, no, it's it's not at all. <laughs> it's it's his body. Uh, and so I, I, yeah, my 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 sort of foundation for in universe Peter Parker is like established through other characters, books and, or the ultimate comics. <laughs> We've got a lot of work to do, Jason. We this do. is, this is, this is a stunning revelation as a friend of mine, <laughs> like it was into comics. Like I, I, I feel personally attacked yeah. by this. It's, it's okay. At least you're not an X-Men fan. Cause I have read the, the most negligible amount of X-Men comics. Like maybe I've read four X-Men comics. Oh, I've read a lot of X-Men comics. Uh, my wife and I have a joke that, like, at bedtime, mm-hmm. if I'm trying to go to sleep, I read X-Men comics because they always put me to sleep. <laughs> I, I, they are, they are like, you know, like uh, insomnia pills for yeah, me. Man. They, just, they just put me under. No, I was, I was just such a DC kid when I started in, in comics that, like, I, read, I would read, like, the Marvel events and, like, I'd read a run of this thing or that thing here and there. And it was usually, like, the smaller character stuff that I would get into. 
Um, and so the the big like tentpole books, I just never really read at Marvel. So I need to I need to do the catch up on those big books. Uh, well, uh, no no better time than now. Exactly. Meaning, like, let's end this and then just have you read Spider Man comics for the rest <laughs> of the day. Yeah, we've just got uh, the last couple things here to cover. We'll just take a minute, and then I'll then that's all I'll do the rest of the day. Um, good, first, first good. Off, I'm not letting you off this hook. <laughs> uh, first off, how do you rate the villain, uh, Adrian Toomes, Michael Keaton? I think personally, this is maybe the best villain in the MCU. That's hard to say. I mean, Loki is really great. Loki is great, uh, and 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 as you like, Adrian Toomes is great in that he's not like not he doesn't feel. Okay, here's the thing that's so great about Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. It's an animated movie, and there's, like, some good voice actors, but they don't feel the need to, like, spend half an hour establishing that character. Yeah. Because it's not, like, a big star. Like, it's not like Jamie Foxx. Yeah. Right? Who we have to create this whole thing for Electro. Yeah. Right? And to me, Adrian Toomes is, like, the perfect kind of, like, in between those things. Yeah. He, like, we don't have half an hour of, like him wandering into a molecular field that alters his genes with that of a vulture. Like, yeah, he's just kind of a guy. He's got like two scenes and that's all we need to really see of him. Yeah. And, uh, and it's fine. He serves as a good you know, adversary to Spider-Man. Yeah. Do I feel like he's really that directly tied into Spider-Man's like every essence of his being? It's not like the green goblin sure. kind of villain where it's personal. Yeah. You know, it gets personal. And by the end, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think he's up there. Yeah. Uh, for me, for me, like I, I haven't really ranked them up like next to each other, but we've been we've been going like giving like one through ten ratings. And for me, I think Adrian Toomes gets like a solid nine, uh, especially in the context of the Marvel universe. I think that's that's where he sits right now for me. Yeah, I mean, I would put him up there with like, I mean, this is kind of insane. Like, say like Thanos or or Loki. Mm-hmm. I mean, not in terms of like power set, but like no, just how what he me- what yeah, he means to this story. Yeah, he's very important. Totally. Um, how about the uh, the Stan Lee cameo? Uh, we we usually rate the Stan Lee cameos one through ten. Uh, this one I really like this when he's sort of out the yelling out the window. Don't make me come down there, you punk. I think it's the worst one of the worst ones. Really. To- I just don't think that it's clever, mm. you know, like I, I, I think for Spider-Man's debut and Stan being, you know, his big contribution to Marvel, like really being fantastic for in Spider-Man. Yeah. Like I felt like there was something cleverer you could do with Stan. I mean, granted, he's already been in a bunch of Spider-Man movies, yeah. but like I think he, there was like Into the Spider-Verse got it right. Yeah, that's like that. That's a brilliant Stan cameo that comments both on the character, mm-hmm. who Stanley is, you know, et cetera. But like this one to me, it's like they shot it like another day. He just was randomly added in. Yeah. The cutaway weird interaction with another woman. Yeah. Um, the cutaway shot, the cutaway shot is one of those things. I do like it a lot better when he's integrated into like the scene and you can kind of see him interacting with it. And so it's, it's yeah, I, I could, I could see your argument. You might've dissuaded me away from being super high on this. Cause that, that's, that's fair. That's a fair criticism. Uh, so maybe- I, I just want, I, I just want more out of it. Like, I mean, like the, the next step down from this is literally Stan, like saving someone from Spider-Man one. Where it's like so quick and you miss it kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. But at least there it's like really uh, a, a, like an Easter egg because it's like you have to know what Stan Lee looks like to spot him there. Yeah. And he's saving someone. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean it's like 
this thing either needed a step up or a step down. I feel that. So maybe like a four out of ten on this one uh, would be mine. I don't know. Yours probably sounds lower. Yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's not one that I think about. It's like, oh, they put Stan in this movie. Yep. Good. Um, and we did talk about the mid credits scene with Adrian Toomes encountering uh, Mac in prison. And, uh, uh, you know, Toomes basically decides to uphold Spider-Man's secret. I think this is a very, very good mid credits scene, but it will be dependent on how it's paid off uh, in the future. Um, and so I think as of right now, this for me is like a 7 out of 10 scene. I like it fine. I mean, I think it's cool that, like, it gives us an additional character beat for mm-hmm. Michael Keaton to, like, you know, as bad as he is, he's an honorable guy. Yeah. And, and that's interesting. It's in character, and it kind of cleans up, like, why he doesn't, tell people about Peter's identity. Yeah. But it's also that, like, hanging sword of Damocles, yep. you know? It's yep. like, at any minute, he could change his mind. 100%. And, and there's a big threat to Peter all of a sudden. Yeah. So I think it's a good setup. Um, yeah, it, it weirdly positions the character in like, the same place as, like, the Green Goblin. <laughs> but even with the Green Goblin, they're like, we gotta kill this guy off by the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, and I, I do like that the villain didn't die in the Spider-Man movie. I think that's very emblematic of, of who Peter is here. Sure. Um, well, I mean, they literally gave him the – he saves him from dying, you know, like so you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a good hero moment, yeah. Um, and then the post credit scene, you, you had a claim about this one that, uh, that, that that's very interesting. Go ahead. What, how do you feel about this post credit scene here? I mean, it's the Captain America sitting out on the chair being mm-hmm. like, are we still doing these things? Well, you know, like, <laughs> like it's very meta and it's very much like them being like – we kind of can stop doing this now, yeah. you know? And I think after, like, Age of Ultron, which I think had, like, probably the lamest post-credit screen, uh, you know, scene ever, where it's just like, we're literally taking a scene from the next movie. Yeah. You know? And out of context, dropping it in here. Yeah. You know? Um, to me, that was really lame, and it was like, if that's the future of these things... We should just not do these things. I agree. I totally agree. You know what I mean? My least, so, my like, least have, favorite ones are the, it's just a scene from another one. Or or even, like, the Captain America one where it's just a trailer for Avengers. Like, those those to me are just so lazy. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. But, like, yeah, the, the scene ones are my least favorite. And so this came out at a time where I was, like, ready for those to end, too. Mm. So, like, I, I feel like there's a universe where this was the final one, and which makes it even funnier. <laughs> where it's like this meta commentary where it's like, we're tired of doing this too. Um, and it's also a troll because it's like making fun of you for like hanging around till yep. the end. But yep. without like being so bold as to have like Deadpool come out and be like, go home. It's <laughs> over. You, you know, or the, the Ferris Bueller thing. Yeah, you know? yeah totally. Th- this to me was like, it was in continuity and it was clever and it was commenting on how tired these things have become. Yeah. It's a solid I, 8 out I of 10 for one. me, even though I left a little disappointed because I was hoping for some sort of Easter eggy thing. Yeah. I mean, but a lot of them have been that way now. Totally. You, you know, like, what was the Captain Marvel one? Oh, yeah. The uh, the Captain Marvel one was, um, there was the, there was, the post-credits was um, Goose in Nick Fury's office uh, regurgitating right. the Tesseract. Um, well, that seems to be the thing now. It's the mid-credits one is the one that teases the next movie or future developments. Yeah. And the post-credits is like some joke. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I like that. I like that being sort of the rhythm of it. Uh, yeah. So this one kind of established that, I think, yeah. really solidly. Yeah. 100%. Um, well, Dan, that is, uh, that is it for this movie. Uh, for those people out there who just can't get enough of the uh, web-slinging... Uh, 
friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? Where, uh, what, what can they do? What, what do you got for them? Well, I would recommend you tune in as well, Jason, <laughs> in your new journey through Spider-Man comics. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, no, it's my podcast, The Amazing Spider-Talk. Uh, we're over 200 episodes deep, but there's always a good time to join us. We're in the middle of our third season of our new, sh- like, kind of reformatted show where we're kind of going through all of Spider-Man's history, kind of one one season at a time. We just our this season is about the Bronze Age, oh. so we're talking about like the death of Gwen Stacy. So we've already had Jerry Conway on a few times Ooh. to talk about killing off Gwen and yeah. you know his kind of transition there. Um, and now we're starting to get into like the birth of like Marvel team ups and yeah. um, things like that. We we're we're trying to get Chris Claremont on. Oh, He's cool. being difficult, but um, <laughs> I think it might actually happen. People's schedules are tough to work around. Of course. Um, and uh, you know we have all kinds of like you know guests from the comics and uh, you know we're very creator friendly and and my co-host Mark and I know our stuff yep. when it comes to Spider Man so. But we're presenting it in a kind of like a, a format for people who don't know anything about Spider-Man who want to learn about this corner of the Marvel Universe one step at a time. Yeah. So, like, I think this weekend we're recording one about, like, where how Mary Jane finally came back into the picture after oh. Gwen Stacy's death as a romantic option and how that developed. So nice. it's, um, it's a fun way to kind of, like, learn about Spider-Man and... And get to hear some creators. Yeah. We also have modern creators on. I just had Jason Latour on my show. Oh, sweet. I love Jason so, Latour. Yeah, he's a, the nicest guy. Great. So, uh, yeah, The Amazing Spider Talk. And I will check say, it out. I will speak to it being very accessible because I, I do I do peek in on, on random episodes here and there. I've never, like, I, I, this is my thing with podcasts. I always listen to a random episode at a random time. It's very odd. I should just do sequential things. But I'll, I'll always peek in on random episodes of your show. And, and being someone, as we established, that does not really know uh, the, the specific Spider-Man history, I kind of know the broad strokes uh, a lot better. It's been very easy for me to uh, to tune in and know exactly what's going on whenever you guys talk. So you know, kudos there. And for anyone listening who doesn't know a lot about the Spider-Man comics, it's it does is in my experience, it's been a great way to uh, to learn some new stuff. I mean, there's a lot of in jokes that are like deeply nerdy and things like that, <laughs> but we try to like make the topics really accessible. I mean, yeah. like one of the, my favorite things we do every season is the bad guys where nice. we break down all of the villains that are introduced during the era of comics that we're talking about. Oh yeah. And we literally will go through and make fun of all of Spider-Man's <laughs> rogues galleries. The bronze age we're doing right now is particularly notorious for having really lame villains. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, cause those are some of my favorites. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. So ch- check out amazing spider talk and, uh, where can they find you on Twitter, Dan? Oh yeah, I'm on Twitter at, at sup spider talk. Uh, so say what's up to me <laughs> on Twitter, wow. like it's 1998. There and, you go. Uh, and you're wearing Jenkins. Yeah, exactly. That's that was <laughs> totally me. I was that kid. Oh, absolutely. We all were. What about you, way. Jason? Uh, I already follow you, but maybe the listeners at home are, are, need to follow you as well. Yeah, yeah. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Jason Halftones. You can find the show uh, on Twitter at That Might Be Cool as well as Instagram. Uh, and you can uh, support the show if you'd like, if you're enjoying this and can't wait for that next season to see what uh, what kind of universe we're diving into. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash that might be cool and, and chuck in a buck and you'll get some exclusive content there. Uh, but uh, that that's all we got for Spider-Man Homecoming, Dan. Any last words? Thwip. <laughs> that might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>